Welcome to the Alchemy of Success podcast. I'm Vince Fusco. In the last 15 years, I've done everything from stagehand to award-winning director, husband and father of two, creative marketing expert, and professional growth and success coach. I specialize in helping people find their purpose, reach their goals, and realize their dreams, while building their confidence and self-love to live a life at their full potential. This podcast is dedicated to the exploration of the human experience, the drivers of, and the physical, mental, and spiritual metrics we measure success by. From personal life stories to inspiring tales from special guests, we'll be sharing our journeys of success and what it is to us. My hope is that this show will serve as a source of personal inspiration to spark your curiosity and ignite your mind, body, and spirit to your own brilliance. So you too can thrive in finding your own alchemy of success. Well, look, the podcast has started. We're here. It's already started. We're here. <laughs> Guys. I don't know how we got here. <laughs> we're here. Well, let's go down the rabbit hole. Today I have the incomparable multi-award winning South Australian theatre maker. She's an actor, singer, writer, director, curator, and a teacher. Joanne is just a prolific producer. Creating and managing productions from the UK to the USA and Australia, she's the winner of the 2020 Frank Ford Award and the 2021 recipient of the John Chataway Award for Innovation. The critics have called her one of the most lauded and awarded fringe performers that Adelaide has ever produced. Graduating with a Bachelor of Creative Arts Honours from Flinders University in 05 and a Graduate Diploma of Education from the University of South Australia, she was nominated for the Emerging Artist of the Year by the Adelaide Critics Circle and nominated twice for the Adelaide Theatre Guide's Best Female Performer in the Professional Category. Her acting credits include David Mamet's Oliana, The Storm by Liam Ormsby, Stephen King's Misery and Foxtel's Deadline Gallipoli. Performing in the Adelaide Fringe from 2007, she subsequently went on to join UK performing arts groups, working her way up to be managing director. And Joanne began producing under her own banner in 2014, and she has since established a strong reputation and a substantial community following. Just a powerhouse of Adelaide theatre. I was honoured to be the director of her first solo show, The Girl Who Jumped Off the Hollywood Sign, which won the inaugural Made in Adelaide Award and the Holden Street Theatre Award in 2017. The show then went to Hollywood, where it won the Producers Encore Award, the TV Illusion Platinum Medal, the Combined Artist and Fringe Management Pick of the Fringe, the Better Lemons Critic Choice Award and the TV Illusion Best Solo Show Female Award. And it was nominated for a host of other awards. The Girl Who Jumped toured to the 2017 Edinburgh Fringe, where further accolades propelled the show towards New York City before coming home to much acclaim, premiering at the Adelaide Cabaret Festival and then back again to Edinburgh in 2018. The show then went on to Sydney in 19 and it returned to Adelaide once more in 2020. Gosh, that show changed so many things and just <laughs> redirected the path for not only you and I, but for so many I know. It was the little show that could. Do you remember that? I remember. We always said. Yeah, it's the little show that could. (laughs) Two more solo shows over the following years, including That Daring Australian Girl, which won both the Banker Say Best Theatre Week 3 Award and the Sunday Mail Award for Best Solo Show Female during the 2018 Fringe, and it then went on to have successful seasons in the 2018 Edinburgh Fringe and subsequently in London in 2019. The Adelaide Fringe, that daring Australian girl also won the Sunday Mail Award for Best Reboot. And most recently, her third solo show, 
The Reichstag is burning in the 2021 Adelaide Fringe at the Black Box Theatres in Adelaide Botanic Gardens in collaboration with Tom Kitney. This new theatrical cabaret production won the Adelaide Critics Circle Award. It received multiple rave reviews and a sold-out season and three additional sell-out extensions. <sighs> Got to catch my breath, Joey. Yeah, sorry. It's a bit long, isn't it? <laughs> nah, it's beautiful. She's the Artistic Director of Hearthstone Kitney Productions. She curates the Black Box Theatres in the Adelaide Botanic Gardens and is a high-profile international presenter. She's earned her reputation of producing strong artistic work of integrity and quality as a theatre maker appearing on an international platform. Not only that, but she is also proudly promoting the art and artists coming from South Australia. Please welcome our very own daring girl, the girl who really did jump, Joanne Hartstone. My love, welcome to the show. How exciting to be here. Hello to you and also hello to your listeners. I know that I'm a fellow listener and I know how wonderful it is to hear these conversations. So hooray, here I am. Thank you, Joey. Thank you. It is such a pleasure to see you tonight, to sit, to sit down with you and, and chat. We haven't had the opportunity of late because your schedule is I mean, you can hear how busy you've been for the last <laughs> five years because that's pretty much like a snapshot. What I've just rolled off there, that's a snapshot of what you've been doing, not even to mention the work you're continuing to do, and we'll get to that, but the current work, which is so exciting with uh, Heartstone Kidney, um, yourself and Tom Kidney. But, Joe, my goodness, start at the beginning for me and for my listeners, where did this dream this pursuit of was it acting was it just a dream to be on stage where did it start do you know it, it actually um started with ballet uh because when i was four or something i was sort of pestering my my parents to to do a ballet class um i probably had seen a cartoon or something and i was moving and things like that uh, and they, they put me in ballet class and uh, I think I was four, just turning five. And then sort of 12 years of dance training then followed, um, uh, which then also turned into acting training and also singing training. Uh, and so, ta-da, graduated high school, went straight into Flinders Drama Centre, which then sort of heightened the skill and the knowledge and the interest and the capability and the networks. Uh, and then I, I just sort of kept going from there. But it's, I don't know that the dreams, like I suppose that was a dream to go to ballet class. Um, but then again, I was always performing as a you know, two-year-old. You've got young children yourself. You know, you can see the sparks of personality starting, starting to really come through. Very yeah. early yeah. on. Uh, so, I, you know, obviously that dream started well before I asked the question to my parents. Um, but I suppose that's how the course of events started the, the, the extreme interest in the performing arts. <laughs> and thank goodness that it did um, because it, it's led you down such a, a long and successful and, and at times challenging path. And I guess like it's not an uncommon pathway to take, whether it be starting with an interest in dance, be it ballet for yourself, and then to go into subsequent music and singing and, and acting. That yeah. makes a lot of sense for a lot of performers too. What would you say would be like the biggest takeaway from having done it from such a young age? Not only, I guess, and ballet is quite a, a disciplined craft to, to take yeah. on, like it comes with a lot of 
structure. Yeah. And would you say that that's something that then has seen you through or like saying that you carried through your career? Um, I don't know if it's about the training necessarily. I think that actually it's muscle memory is, is the thing that I've taken away from it big time. So <laughs> my, my partner often uh, describes my acting ability as kind of like a wind up, you know, toy bunny and you just sort of wind me up and off I go. And I just do it the same every time or pretty much the same every time. And that I think comes from ballet and muscle memory and the totally. ability to learn choreography, but not only learn choreography, also put a story to the choreography to be able yep. to then help your body remember it and express it, which then also is acting, which then leads to the craft, to the craft, to the craft. So, you know, I think that it's all it's all one ultimately, but uh, but I think being able to have um, training uh, and an interest in it from such an early age, uh, I think that that has obviously led to <laughs> the resume. The resume. <laughs> The resume that you just read. <laughs> and so at school, did you always have, I guess, a bit of a camera? Were you in the school plays as well as, like, whilst you were doing ballet and everything? And then obviously, like you said, yeah. it heightened the interest, heightened the knowledge at university and Flinders Drama Centre, no less. Tell us a little bit about that experience for you as far as how did that shape your, uh, your mindset moving forward and uh, who were some of those people who played an influential role? Well, I, I really have to give a lot of credit to teachers. Um, gosh, aren't they amazing? And ironically, I've become one. Absolutely. And, <laughs> well. and, and that's something that I want to speak to because you're right. Like it is the teachers who without sometimes that person or that figure offering that insight to open mm. up a student's mind. And I, I mm. hear that 100%. I was the same as you. I had one teacher, thank heavens for him, who pushed my interest in Tennessee Williams in high school that really changed my entire landscape for the arts. Um, and so, yeah, and I'm so glad that you became a teacher and I myself have spent some time teaching, but, like, it's the ability to transfer your knowledge that's such a gift. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And I think paired with encouragement. You know, when I think back to, to Debbie Thomas, my first ballet teacher, and then going on to Cheryl Bradley, who is yeah. still, yeah, still going, yeah, in Adelaide, what <laughs> a phenomenal woman, um, to uh, Peter Gubbins, who was at Annesley College, Anita Batupa, um, oh my gosh, I've just mumbled her last <laughs> name. Isn't that really rude of me? I'm really sorry, Mrs. P. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. P, that's easier. That's okay. <laughs> I think that's what we called her at the time as well. Um, anyway, lo lovely woman and, of course, so influential and, um, and encouraging. These are all the people who said, no, you're good at this. You should keep going. Um, I did have an experience with dance, which I uh, could share, actually. The reason I pivoted from from dance into acting um, is because, because of my body shape. I was told I was never going to be a professional dancer and it was a hard thing to hear. Um, also, I guess at the time, realistic, uh, but I'm, I'm bow-legged, so it's not a huge thing, but it just means that my points don't look straight yeah they look yeah. tickled yeah um so i i had to work really hard on my turnout 
and it hurt and going on point was really hard. So, you know, the the teacher was giving me a truth. It was just a very hard truth to hear. Uh, but at the same time, Cheryl Bradley uh, had put a NIDA pamphlet in my hands and said, you should do this. You could go to NIDA one day. And I, I just sort of went, oh, okay, could I? Thought about it. And then she did some acting classes and I really loved acting. Like there was a, there was a great freedom in being other characters and not being myself, uh, which <laughs> is a dichotomy as well. Like putting Joe on a hook and putting on the different ha- the characters and, and that kind of escapism was lovely yeah. to experience. Uh, and then, of course, as you know, the craft is so rich. There's so much to learn. And it's so, so easy to get lost. It's so easy to get yeah. lost in it because I think it's, it's, I don't want to like just openly be like, I think it's underestimated, but I think it's underestimated. I think a lot of people often underestimate the real craft to acting, the depth that you can go to, not even just about like people I think automatically would say, oh, well, you're going to a depth of what, like method acting and you're just going to like embody that character and live 24 seven. And it's not even about that, but it's, it's actually understanding that the, the range of techniques, the range of methodology that has been presented over hundreds of years from the greats that we then go on to study at university and at you know institutes like NIDA, um, and they are uniquely different. But then when you look at a text, it then takes you into a whole other realm of uh, you know understanding a text, understanding a character's point of view, empathizing a side of mm-hmm. humanity that maybe, you know, you're, you, you're gifted the ability to see it from all those perspectives, which then allows your performance to be so rich. Yeah? Would you agree to that? Oh, I totally agree. I, I also think that we're, we suffer because of how easy we make it look. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? A yeah. good performer makes it look invisible. You know. Oh, see, so, okay, you took the words out of my mouth. And this is something you <laughs> and I always said. Like, so from, I guess, just for a bit of background context as well, Joanne and I have, you, Joanne's one of my dearest, dearest friends, one of my most highly respected peers and colleagues and co-collaborators. We've worked together a number of times in a number of capacities. Um, but one of the things, I guess, at the core of our, our friendship that we always relate to and always come back to, I think, is like our standard of work ethic, which is disgustingly awful at some days, like to ourselves, where we work ourselves into the ground. But with that comes a certain standard of quality and 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 a way of doing it and executing it. And we always, always used to say a good producer is invisible and the good yeah. craftsman, is, you know, the good actors make it look easy. Um, and we always used to say that about like, you know, we'd run theatres together. We'd run, you know, we ran the Queens together. We ran yeah. the Bunker together in a number of different ways. And even then, like, things would be going on and you would have no idea. It would just be invisible. Yeah. People think it would just happen. And that was something you always, always said, Joey, that always sticks in like, like a duck. Like, a, yeah, the duck. The That's river. what we say. And, and just smoothly sailing and underneath. And the yeah, paddle, 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 paddle. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it well, is a, I think it is that's a problem, though. And so, therefore, you know, I'm not surprised that it's underestimated. Um, I wish it was. I wish it was more acknowledged in the world. But you know, we suffer from being as good as we are. So, hard, you know, hard, how do we hard solve life. the problem? <laughs> uh, indeed. And so, you get this NIDA pamphlet, 
and then from okay, there, going back there yes. you go you go into it just auditioning well no um I did you know a two-week night of course when I was 15 which was really great I remember the tutor thought I was way older than I was <laughs> um and I think initially they cast me in a very inappropriate scene for a 15 year old and then oh whoops Daisy let's one out the next day. I feel like that might be like a recurring thing. Like I, I did a, I did a similar two week the night of courses, and I remember back then one of the scripts we did for like our day workshop was like closer, which yeah. is not not age yeah, appropriate right. for like that's a not age, age appropriate. That's not age appropriate. But uh, no. yeah, similar experience. But yeah, I can see that. And you are also, I think, you you are mature beyond your years. I think in you. I mean, no, I, I think when I was fifteen, I I had a lot of. Um, I had a lot of growing to do. Um, of course, when you're 15, you don't appreciate how much growing you've got to no. do. Uh, I think that high school was pretty tough for me, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, I think that I experienced cruelty in uh, in a high school environment. Um, and so that, no wonder I loved acting because then there was a side of me that could go into a different character and I didn't totally. have to be myself because myself was being bullied, yeah. you know. Um, and so, so, yay, escapism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but, you know, then that become became cyclical because then I became a tall poppy because I was really good at acting and I was getting the 100% marks. Yeah. And so, therefore, you know, I think that that causes jealousy and um, that certainly did at my school. Um, and so it was a, it was a difficult process to go through and, and get out and then go to a place in which everyone's interested <laughs> in the thing totally. that I'm interested in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but my high school experience uh, didn't prepare me very well to go to university, I don't think. Except that I had all of this really specialist knowledge and training and, uh, you know, I was like rip-rearing to go into uni but also kind of traumatised, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. and traumatised is, is a, fair, um, a fair description of, of that time. High school's hard yeah. enough at the best of times for a lot of people yeah. for a number of reasons. Um, and to be bullied, you know, for whatever reason is difficult to manage. When well, you say I should sick- say I, I went to an all-girls school, so it's a different kind of bullying. It's not like heads in the toilets kind of stuff. It's teenage girl cruelty. And that is a lesson that, <laughs> well. The whole that, nother level of. The like, whole nother level. I've heard sayings, yeah. like comedic sayings about around the lines of, you know, if you really want to do some damage, you need to fight like a teenage girl. Like it's like psychological warfare. And look, I, I don't know. I can't comment on the experience. Does that make it far worse because it's not just about your talent? Is it about everything else that a teenage girl is already insecure about that, that then yeah, goes into your mind? I, I, I think that, you know, and I'm not saying that there weren't good things at school either. Yeah. And I would like to, for the record, as this is being recorded, um, I would like to put for the record that one of my enemies from high school is now one of my dearest friends. And it was after high school that we reconciled with each other and said, oh, we shouldn't compete. We should actually be friends. 
because we actually like the same things. And so she's now my favorite frenemy. Um, (laughs) And and we've been such close pals for a very long time. And I think also having that kind of experience going from, like I was, I won't mind saying it. I'm sure she won't mind me saying it. I was very um, frightened by her at times and she did make my life quite hard. And we competed because she was a singer, a dancer, uh, an actor, also an incredible musician, pianist, harpist. She was just like, she, she was, is. It's intimidating. But also here I am and obviously I was in her eyes competition. Ironically, we were paired together on our year eight buddy day. <laughs> and then it was like friction. And so, you know, never did anything violent or anything like that, but just a lot of competition and, you know, tenseness and stuff. Um, and uh, anyway, afterwards reconciled, now are so supportive of each other, see each other whenever I'm in the UK because that's where she is. Um, and so having that experience from that kind of relationship to this kind of relationship and forgiving someone and growing, like, uh, that's a blessing in my eyes. So I wouldn't replace it. You've exactly um, outlined what I was going to take away from that whole Oh, great. As far as, no, 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 exactly, which is like that's a huge lesson yeah. to learn through uh, high school then to say like after high school we've reconciled. To reconcile with somebody who you in those years for whatever reason yeah. you did not get along with, yeah. that's a big thing and that is a huge inward reflection and a huge yeah. uh, moment of growth to be able to put that aside and grow from mm-hmm. it and then put it behind you and move forward, let alone to be best friends um, mm-hmm. and, and to say we don't need to compete here. Like there's... They need to go around and, and see the difference. So I guess the difference with the support of one another, do you feel like it is a, you know, let's go further together than, than you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, so you've got all this shared history, you know, like even though it's negative. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and you, you sort of think, well, you've seen me at my worst, so maybe we can celebrate being in each other's best. Um Ironically, I actually think it's her birthday today, the day that we record this. <laughs> oh, happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not mentioning her name because... She no, 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 not at all. That's yeah, totally uh, yeah, anyway, so that's a, that's a good thing that's come out of, out of high school. But then being able to train and then to go back to teachers like Professor Michael Morley. Oh, my goodness. What a man at Flinders University. He just gave me this incredible love and and he taught with such quirkiness and such interest and what a world he opened me up to. All of us, you know, not just yeah. me. All Any, of us. Anyone who's crossed his path will know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And I love that I have been able, like, lucky enough to be in the wake of that and mm. sort of bask in it. But then, like, mm. one thing that I've always loved from working with yourself, Joe, when we've worked together is the way that you've always spoken of Michael Morley. It's always oh. with the highest regard and the warmth. And even this evening as you speak about him once again, like, and that says a lot, I believe, about not only the relationship but the impact that that person has had on you, your career, and then your MO moving forward. So yeah. I guess if there was anything in particular that maybe you feel like he taught you as a, a bigger lesson or a, a teaching that you've then taken forward what would you say that would be oh gosh I don't know if I could sum up Michael Morley in in a sentence or something I can say I can tell you a fun fact do you know that he was the voice of the MC in my third show the Reichstag is burning I did not know that 
I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. There you go. Very so good. So, like, when I wrote The Rag Shug is Burning, I was like, I need um, an MC, conferencier character to le- lead the yeah. journey. And I was like, I need someone who can do a German accent who's got, got that innate theatricality in their voice and who under- understands the genre. Um, I'm going to ask Michael Moore. <laughs> and so we, re- we recorded in his uh, in his kitchen uh, for one day and, like, he just got it immediately. I guess I wrote it with him in mind, so it was a lovely pairing. But, but still, actually, like, the ability to, to nail a text immediately yeah. is always a, a nice thing. He's just a wealth of knowledge. I think I've almost learnt more from him after being his student than I have whilst I was at university with him. You know, um, he taught me a lot of great songs and all of that kind of musical theatre world, so much about Brecht, um, which heavily influences Mm -hmm. my practice. Um, Yeah. Oh, and then, of course, you've got Jules Hollage, who taught me how to act. (laughs) You know, thank you, Jules. And and Joe Hartog, who I'm currently, uh, gosh, this is actually a great time to, to announce this, I'm doing a show at the Bakehouse in August, uh, which is, I think, tickets have ju- it's just gone live now, directed by Joe Hartog. Oh, plug, 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 yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so, like, it's maybe the, the lesson I am now forming in my mind, Vince, and to all your lovely listeners, is be nice to your teachers. <laughs> totally, totally. Be nice to your teachers. <laughs> because and, and it's true like it's there's something really wonderful about going not back because it's not back about going forward and then being able to work with your teachers in that professional capacity and see how much either you have grown or they have grown and like you said like you, you're learning more outside of the classroom now beyond that that teacher-student mm. relationship, but then to be able to work with, like, Joe now is is great. So, well, tell us about that show that is opening at the Bakehouse in August. Just let's, let's hear a little uh, bit about that and where can we get to Yeah, so it's called Hate Mail uh, and it's a romantic comedy. Um, it's co-starring David Daradan, who was in Enterprise uh, with mm-hmm. me, um, and it's actually a play writ- created exclusively out of written correspondence. So there's no dialogue. Okay. It's all written correspondence, um, you know, via postcard, letter, email, internet chat room, <laughs> like etc. Yeah. Um, so we're in the very early stages of rehearsal at the moment. Um, Tom is designing, uh, which I'm so excited about because I absolutely Amazing. love working with Tom's designs. Like what he does with lights, I he paints with light. I just. I think that's. <laughs> Painting with lights is almost like he's a master then. We're going to come back to Tom a little bit further down in the journey, but yeah. Tom Kitney is who we're talking about and he's a wizard to say the least, a technical wizard. Yeah. Sorry, we digress. So it's through. So Tom's designing. Tom's designing and hate Tom's mail. Designing. Um, and it's going to be, yeah, at the Bakehouse for eight performances only. Blank and you'll miss it. So if you're looking for something at the end of winter for a date, in a theatre, uh, hate mail, I think, is going to be your feel-good 70 minutes, squeeze in pre-drinks, late dinner afterwards, snuggle Perfect. by the fire. Like, I think it's the kind of thing that would be the hit of your week. Uh, so that's hate mail. And that will be on, so if you want to see me perform Adelaide, 
uh, you can come to the bakehouse in August. Get into it, Adelaide. Get into it. Get behind it. I love it. So from there, where do we go, Joey? Do you want to talk us through, I guess, once you, you left uni and yeah. when did you go to the UK for the first time? What was, what was your ticket to well, the UK? Okay, I can tell that story. Um, funnily enough, has to do with another mentor. Uh, so uh, I met uh, Guy Masterson, uh, who's a bit of a fringe legend, uh, when I was doing uh, Adelaide Fringe in 2008. Uh, it was my second Adelaide Fringe at that stage, and I had. Oh, this is this is typical. This is only. This is at the Lipidome. Stop it. Okay, so I think we just had the same thought at the exact same time, yeah. Joey. Every time this comes up, and I just remembered it. You and I. It's so funny. We, we won't even go into the detail of to like our first meeting, and I'll say meeting air quotes meeting. Um, at our place of work in like many years later, but 2008 at the Lipidome on Hindley Street, it was mm-hmm. my first fringe, your second fringe. Now this is, we only realised this years later, that mm-hmm. we met and we were working in the Lipidome together. You were directing Two Long Gone Lonesome Cowgirls. Is that the name of the show? Yes, that's yeah, right. Okay. How's that for a minute? I think it was just called Long Gone, Long Lonesome, Gone Cowgirls. Lonesome Cowgirls. But with, there were two of them, so that's you, right. you were right. And um, and you had directed that, and I was. You guys were on at like nine thirty. I was in the seven thirty slot, performing mm-hmm. the male lead in Ex Stacy, um, upstairs right. in the Lipidome, and that was and, uh, no. And there was another show. This is what I was going to say. I never do anything by halves. Never, it wasn't never, just never. I had also written with my other two friends, Jesse Beck and Jennifer Star, uh, Jenny Starvel. Um, I had written a cabaret show uh, that we also performed, which was, uh, which we called, oh gosh, you know, I can't even remember what we called ourselves, oh, but it was a three-person cabaret. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And that's true to you, 100%. You don't do things by heart. Directing like a show and writing show. and performing in a cabaret. Yeah, why yeah, not? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Guy Masterson, his involvement with, with that, for you as far as working? Yeah, so he came, he was invited by uh, one of the performers in Long Gone Lights and Cowgirls to come and see the show and he really liked it and he actually thought that the direction was really good and I had directed it. And so uh, we we got to talking in the Garden of Unearthly Delights. What better place place to have that conversation? I think it was one of the first years of the garden, actually. I reckon you might be right. It was Early. really new. I think they just got a Ferris wheel. I mean, I'm sure one of your listeners already knows, like, oh, it was you too. Or We're going to get dragged for this all over the internet, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I should know this. I know. <laughs> um, anyway, I was there. <laughs> I met Guy uh, <laughs> and he offered me a job uh, and he said, if you wanted to come and be my assistant director in London, would you go? And I was like, yes. Uh, at the time I was living in Sydney and nothing was really happening for me in Sydney. You know, I don't been there a short period of time, but you know, I, uh, the phone was, wasn't exactly ringing hot. Uh, and, uh, and I was like, yeah, okay, I go. Um, and then before I left the job changed completely because 
you know, later on, of course, I completely appreciate that his season at that stage was so not solidified. It was yeah. fluctuating up and down and he didn't know, you know, he, he was hoping to get the right people for the right jobs. Anyway, so it turns out that he uh, didn't need an assistant director after all. So I, my career as a director was, was that was not my path forward. Yeah. How, what, he, what he did need, however was he needed a young female actor to play opposite him in Oleana in a tour in across the UK. Uh, and he somehow had got chatting to my mum and dad and my parents had said to him, by the way, you know, Joe's not just a director. She's a really good performer, you know, mum and dad, you know. Perfect. This biased. is classic. And I can see your dad having that conversation. <laughs> like I which I love, I love, I love. Your parents are your biggest supporters. Your dad, for those of you who do follow Joanne Hearthstone and Black Box Theatre, you will have met the wonderful Jonathan Hearthstone. He's yeah. our doorman every uh, every other year, it feels like, or our usher, and just one of the biggest smiles you're ever going to see at the Adelaide Fringe. So he won Spirit yeah. of the Fringe a couple of years back. Do you yes, remember? Oh. Yes, that was amazing. That, that he was so deserved it as well. Best the theater dad in South Australia. Yeah, look, undeniable, <laughs> undeniable. Yeah. There's no. Well, anyway, they were doing a humble brag, and <laughs> <Brilliant. laughs> um, you know, and some for some reason that thought implanted itself in Guy's brain, and right. so he thought, well, if Joe's actually good, and we'll you know chat over Zoom or whatever. Zoom didn't exist back then. I think it was the early days of Skype, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and. Then he said, but I also need someone to run publicity for me for my Edinburgh season. And I can't justify bringing you over for one if you can't do the other. Yeah. And I was like, I've never done publicity, but you know what? I'll do it. I'll learn it and I'll work as hard as I can and I'll try my best and I'll also do the acting thing. Thank you very much. Um, so that's what happened is that I then gave up my uh, flat in Sydney and I got on a plane and I went to London. I feel like that's where your your bow has so many strings. And one of the things that I find so compelling about you mm. against every other, let's say, theatre maker or creator, Joe, yeah, is that you, you literally have done every single, like I consider myself someone who's done almost every single aspect or element of putting together theatre and producing it and promoting it. You have done that exact same thing. So, like, you've never done the PR thing, but you started there just by that attitude of I've never done it, but I'm going to do it and I'll give it a yeah. go and I'm going to do the acting. Thank you very much. But, like, <laughs> years on, that's why I think you are just so proficient at what you do as well, the way that you are able to handle a publicity campaign of your own work and others, a multitude of others. It's not even like you're doing two, three, four shows. You're promoting 20-plus shows a year in one season plus your own. Like It's basically like you had the best masterclass in practice from mm. the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, also working in Edinburgh prepares you. Oh, my God, like thrown you straight into it. Like there's yeah, no, there's in. no. And I think, again, I've been lucky enough to stand beside you as you've produced theatre work and, and venues and run teams and educated and mentored students of your own now. Mm. And I can hand on heart say that you operate in the exact same manner 
with the same amount of trust, responsibility. Like there are some students that you've worked with who have never had the opportunity, but you give it to them with such clear instruction and guidance and encouragement and warmth, like you've mentioned about all of your mentors. That is so evident and inherent in you. And again, like I've seen your staff who have come through your ranks, work their career up, 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 and they, they go off through into other great careers as well through your guidance and mentorship. So, you know, I think that's a real merit to you and, and to your mentors too. Like I think that there's something to be said about that generational transition and transfer of knowledge and encouragement and growth for the individual. Well, I, I think it's actually a bit of a responsibility. You know, the flame yeah. was passed to us. So we, we have, have to pass absolutely. the flame on, you know, and, that, and that's, that's the, well, I mean, that's the human experience. It's why we were able to turn, you know, a stone into a hammer and then we turn that hammer into a, you know, something else. The, the, the idea. Break another yeah, rock, turn I, into a brick. How ideas build upon ideas upon, you know, and I think that, so therefore it's, it is our responsibility to pass it on. And know when it's important to pass it on. So I've had some incredible people that I've mentored uh, and, and they've changed me as well. You know, I think that's the other side of this. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure my teachers got a kick out of seeing me go on and, and do things, you know, and I'm now seeing that same kick with, with the people that have come through my company and, and, and my training and I see the work they're doing now and I just think, oh, my gosh, so that's, that's great. Uh, I remember that, you know. Yeah, or, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's so satisfying to see. So, yeah, oh, be nice to your teachers. Be nice <laughs> to your teachers, absolutely. So, from the Edinburgh Fringe, there you're you're doing mm -hmm. Oliana. You're doing yeah. PR for Guy as well over there. Yeah. This is now like '09. What then leads you to presenting your own work under your own banner in 2014? And what was the first piece that you presented under your banner? Uh, the Bunker Trilogy. Was oh, the, the Bunker, one. of course. Yeah. Of course, of course. Yeah, so that was the first one under myself. But, but before that was the Centre for International Theatre. Yes. So CIT. Yeah. And CIT was um, a, a co-project between Guy and myself. So um, I'd come back to Adelaide, and obviously Adelaide Fringe is this really hubbing marketplace, and Guy was coming over each year and and recognizing how valuable it was uh to to be part of Adelaide Fringe as an international presenter um and also we spoiled him rotten you know when he comes <laughs> over he lives like a king and he performs and everyone loves him and we and, love it know, we love it who yeah, love yeah, that yeah. little ego boost um <laughs> so you know it of course he loves coming here why wouldn't they um and so we came up with an, a plan and obviously he very much drove the idea of the project but I was doing all the on the, on the ground logistics mm -hmm. so he curated a season of shows that he was going to bring over and take over an entire venue higher ground um and curate the whole thing uh and then we would look after all the shows do all the publicity for it and kind of and we did that over three years um and you know it brought some great shows to Adelaide like Scaramish Jones and uh, Shylock uh, and, gosh, what else did we do? Um, Waits, Bully, Smiler, Austin's Women, 
Um, and, of course, The Boy James and Outland, which led to me meeting Jethro. That's right, yeah. Who uh, was in Belt Up Theatre. And then when I went back over to Edinburgh, you know, it's all about backwards and forwards. Um, I went back over to Edinburgh, met up with Jethro, saw his Bunker trilogy and went, let's take this to Adelaide. Yeah. And that's the first time I said, I'm doing it by myself. Guy wasn't coming that year. His and that was Joanne Hardstone Presents, the Bunker yeah. Trilogy. And that was yeah. our first venture yeah. as a venue producer together as well. So, and that was, again, like classic fringe. Joanne yeah. built a bunker end to end inside a printing office in the uh, West End of Adelaide, unlike anything you've ever seen, but it was sort of one of the first really, I think, immersive theatre experiences. Um, and 2014 doesn't seem like it's that long ago, but it, gosh, seven years is a blink of an eye, isn't it? Considering now, you know, that every second show is really immersive. Um, but the- I mean, just very quickly comparing it to now. So here's seven years for your, for your listeners. So that's our first, you know, theatre venture in a in a print shop. I now run four theatres in the Adelaide Botanic Garden. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Live stream platform. So, like, what a difference seven years makes, What a right? difference seven <laughs> years makes. Holy dooly. So, that is crazy. That doesn't make us big, feel old. Gosh. I know. But so, still. Yeah, that was a great season. That was a fantastic was season, a, a fantastic season. season. And I think that really... Would you say that that then sparked your ongoing interest of curating and producing a venue, not only just for one show, like in that instance, but then being able to say, look, I, I want to take this to a bigger venue. I want to have multiple. I want to be able to present multiple international and local shows. Um, and, and, and what made you, I guess, pivot to then that, that mindset of, of curating theatre and presenting? It's, it's sort of the thing like, the, the pivot was placed in front of me and so I took it. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it kind definitely. Of like, and come to the UK, be an Ollie Anna and do publicity, there's the pivot. So then I get more into producing side of things and the back of house side of... of and you're putting all of those skills that you've learned to work. You're now yeah. going to put and them then, and, action. And then I, can, I should say I continued to work with Guy for years after that. Oh, yeah, yeah, years, yeah. Years. And I was also did like tour booking with him, so I learned that side of it, you know, creating a show from nothing to something. I Yeah, and I remember during that time of even The Bunker, like that whole season, not only were you producing the venue, but I remember vividly like... You were literally like, oh, I've got to go. I've got a booking for this. I've got. To, I'm running this for guy. I'm doing publicity for this show, and that was mm-hmm. probably one of the first times I got to witness your work really, like up close and personal, and just see how how how, how, well, how you <laughs> operate. Yeah, how busy you are. How insanely <laughs> you are. You're a sucker for punishment. But no, but how you operate. It's another level of just of pure execution, but it's done with yeah. the most I don't know ease. Like you, not uh, to I say that I, you don't work hard because you work harder than most people that I've never met. But yeah, you, you know, Joey, I just think that you are. A, no, it's a great thing. It's a great thing. Well, you know, I have to. I have to. You know, I listen to your podcast, and I know that balance is important. Yes. You know, and um, giving myself time off at the moment is pretty hard. Um, I don't think I have a day off until September. 
um, and that includes weekends. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, this weekend I'm in the Adelaide Cabaret Festival with the mentoring work that I'm doing for mm-hmm. Class of Cabaret. Uh, and then, you know, all these other things are happening in the future. So I guess finding that balance and having time off is is um, still something I'm learning to do. <laughs> yeah, it's but a work in progress. Then, you know, seven years ago when I, when I had all those 20s energies. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what does that feel like? My goodness. Yeah. But, like, and, and you're right. It is something that back then you didn't know or maybe you were still learning and continue to learning. And I agree. Like, I, we, we're both of the same cloth when it comes to that. A work ethic, which then led us to working together on your mm-hmm. first solo show that you penned, The Girl Who Jumped Off the Hollywood Sign. Now, this was something that you had. It's funny. For as long as I've known you, you've always talked about how much you loved Judy Garland and the era of Hollywood and the actresses. And it was something that we always connected on. So when you first came, you know, approached me and said, Vin, I've got this script, would you read it? And then would you direct it? I remember being so like, oh my God, this is going to be, oh my God. Like I personally felt like such a a weight of excitement, but responsibility to you. I'll say. I'll say. Um, And, and it was one of the most incredible experiences for me as a director, having previously directed like operas for co-opera and theater productions and produced theater musical theater and and a couple of dramas but this was unlike anything it was a one-woman show uh, a cabaret style theater piece um mm. traversing the period of hollywood the golden era of of cinema and and one girl's journey evie edwards an aspiring actress again resonating the true story of peg entwistle and so many other actresses of the time and today looking at issues of sexism women's rights um and i guess just the patriarchal view that there that was offered at the time and 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 also a lot about power imbalance actually oh, the, huge, the more huge. i've done the show the more i've realized what i tapped into was the really ridiculous unfair power balance mm-hmm. of this whole structure of becoming famous in hollywood yeah um, and I think that the more I've done, because I've done the show now hundreds of times. Hundreds of times all around the world, all around yeah. the world. So it's yeah. funny, at the top of the show you said, you know, we used to call it the little show that could and we, we yeah. rehearsed it in your living room, in your home. Yeah. We worked on it every single Sunday for like 15 weeks. We then bumped it into the theatre and it just went bananas from there, like a sellout yeah. season. We won all the awards at the Adelaide Fringe that year. And then you you said, I'm taking this to LA. And we went to the Hollywood Fringe to do a yeah. show about Hollywood in Hollywood. Yeah. And I got, to, I got to climb the Hollywood and sign. And you got to climb the Hollywood sign, which people will be like, that doesn't sound exciting. Please. It's so like, you're not allowed to do that. We're so lucky. Oh, no. They arrest you. <laughs> but we, we got to with, with permission. Uh, well, you yes. got to. And, and then in Hollywood Fringe, you sent me this email in the middle of the night saying we've just picked up a slew of awards and I ran them off before, but it included things like the TV Lucian Platinum Medal, the Encore Award, a Pick of the Fringe, the Critics' yeah. Choice Award. Like you cleaned up all of them and then you went to New York City and got to perform it before bringing it back home. Tom Kidney then joins the party and comes on as a production designer for you, which elevates, and it's funny, we used to joke about it in your living room. We would do it 
you know, it was such a simplistic show at year one of Black Box at uh, the Botanic Gardens mm -hmm. where yeah. it was, you know, our, your first year presenting not only the Black Box but then this show and we went with such a, a simplistic, like, of the time colour scheme and palette and the technical elements weren't all whiz back. I mean, let's face it, neither of us are lighting designers. So, you know, we no. did our best with what we knew. Oh, but <laughs> uh, look, the core was all there as far as like all of the, what we were playing with as far as the colours, yeah, oh, the totally. representations and whatnot. But um, Tom comes on board and you said before he paints with lights. Oh, and let yeah. me tell you, the cabaret season at the Adelaide Festival Centre was just everything that we had talked about in your living room. We're saying one day this show is going to take on the world and it's going to come back and this <laughs> is going to be a single spotlight here and then it's going to fade yeah. to this and it's going to be this. And Tom took that and just did elevated it beyond what yeah. I think you or I could have expected, hoped for, or even imagined. And it just was beautiful. It's like he put it on film and then put it on stage. So the girl who jumped for you, what, what was that time like for you, given that it was such a whirlwind? And then you started writing your next solo show all at the same time, yeah. which again, I say started writing, but you'd really been writing the Muriel Matters one for a lot longer, um, yeah, that daring longer. Australian girl. But let's just quickly yeah. talk about the girl who jumped and what did that mean for you, Joe, as a performer, as a creative, and, and what was that experience like for you? Um. It, it just felt right. It just felt like all of the bits that I'd done were coming into this and I could do every single bit of it except maybe the lighting design. <laughs> I think that Tom definitely improved, <laughs> improved that. Um, and, I, and it felt, it, yeah, I don't know. It, it just felt right. And it felt like, of course, this is what's happening because it is a good show. And, you know, I'm proud to be able to do it. And I'm working really hard to be able to do this. And yeah. And, you know, to, it was success. It was, you know, successful. This was what success feels like. Success feels like a lot of hard work. Absolutely, <laughs> it does, doesn't it? And it was great. Yeah. And it was really, really good. So it changed my life. Um, I don't think I appreciated when we were rehearsing in the living room how much it was going to change my life. Uh, but it did. And, you know, in, in maths, when you get those exponential graphs, when suddenly it just starts to rocket up, mm -hmm. I think that's what was happening that year because it just, everything started. Everything started. started. Everything started. I remember yeah. saying to you that this will never be the same again. Yeah. I remember saying to you one day, things are never going to be the same after this show. Wow. And they and, were. And, and, and they the, weren't. It's just what I needed, I think. Yeah. Um, obviously it was in me, you know. But, so much, so yeah. much so. <laughs> but there's, there's also, I didn't stop though because I already had this other story that mm -hmm. I wanted to tell as well. But because I found the language and the ability to do a solo show because Doing a solo show is is a different um, genre in itself to theatre performance and particularly writing monologue. And you have to find your in. You have to find a lot of language and the idea of a show in order for it to make sense. So my next solo show actually started as a four-hander and then it turned into a two-hander, but it just didn't work as a two-hander. And so then I, then I had this language of monologue 
Mm-hmm. And I thought, right, okay, I can I can do something with this. I can turn this into a monologue and use the one-person narrative um, as my device. And so whilst I was in New York uh, doing The Girl Who Jumped Off the Hollywood Sign off Broadway during a blizzard. Um, <laughs> Living the dream. <laughs> Living the dream in a tiny apartment. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, getting, getting warm over the stove because it was just freezing. Joanne, that is classic uh, New York. I don't care what people say. <laughs> that is classic New York. People live for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was uh, happy to come back to the warmth of Adelaide uh, after that, I tell you. Um, but, yeah, so I was there in my sublet writing this monologue that in a month and a half I had registered to perform in Adelaide Fringe. Wow. So I set myself these really ridiculously short deadlines <laughs> to get stuff to done. Get it done. Um, and, uh, and the pressure was on. So it was a, a great way to, to while away a blizzard was to create a, another show. <laughs> and we're, we're talking about it, that daring Australian girl, which, which tells the story of Muriel Matters, a suffragette. Actually, a she's a suffragist. Yeah. Please, please, please. So the, suffra- the suffragettes were yeah. the name that was coined actually by the opposition in order to ridicule in the UK. Right. But she, but also they were the militant side. So they were the people who threw bricks in windows and they bombed MPs' houses and, you know, they were, they were quite militant in their actions. Suffragists were pacifists, but they protested. Right. So Muriel, and I think it's a, in order to do honour to Muriel, I think that's actually a really important distinction to make. Absolutely. She was, was organised, but she was not militant. She didn't, she didn't believe in violence. Um, so... I know a lot about Muriel Matters. <laughs> I well, wrote a show about her. <laughs> not only did you write a show about her, but you, you, you played her uh, once again around the world to rave reviews. What did that show, that has such an important message about women's rights, and the, at the time of doing it was really at the peak of sort of this Me Too movement happening. Tell me a little bit about like where you were at as you saw your show about to open and that whole narrative come out of Hollywood after so, you've just been in yeah. Hollywood doing The Girl Who Jumped, which, again, like there's so many parallels in these yeah. texts as well. But I guess, yeah, from, a, from your point of view, what did that look like? So when we were in New York with The Girl Who Jumped Off the Hollywood sign, it was um, the Golden Globes just happened, right, and that was the Time's Up campaign when everyone right. wore black. Yeah. Do you remember that when they yeah, were black? Yeah, yeah. My show was about Hollywood. My costume is all black, and one of the reviews said, "How did she know? How did she know that all black was going to be the uniform? How did she write this before the Me Too movement started?" Well, it's obviously because I was sensing what was going on, and you know, it was it was Hollywood's worst kept secret. Well, why not talk about it? And then obviously someone with Twitter talked about it and yeah. it went off. Um, I should have just tweeted <laughs> instead of writing a show. So yeah, so then there we were. Meanwhile, I'm writing that Daring Australian Girl whilst this narrative is going on. And so for the, your listeners, Muriel Matters was an Adelaide-born actress um, who uh, then went to London after having a very successful career in Australia 
And she went to London where the women's rights campaign was in full swing. And, um, and so within six weeks of arriving, she went to a meeting and was like, why on earth are women not allowed the vote? Because, of course, dear old South Australia had given women the right to vote and the right to stand for parliament in 1894. Um, and also she had voted already. So she knew the benefits of equal rights. Yeah. And then yeah. she went over to the UK and could not, believe the inequality that this law meant for the, how society was structured and so became a very strong advocate to say um, how can I help by the way I have lived experience and I'm a trained performer uh -huh. so I have a really loud voice how can I convince people that this is a good thing and so she got on the back of a caravan and opened 13 branches of the Women's Freedom League and she inspired thousands of people towards suffrage um, and then she uh, protested she chained herself to the grill in the Women's Viewing Gallery in the House of Commons and because of her, they, the whole grill was removed, literally removing the barrier between men and women in Parliament. She uh, was then arrested, not for that, for something else, went to Holloway. Then she was the world's first um, era, uh, aviation protester because she got a hot air balloon. This is before the Wright brothers got a hot air balloon and put votes for women on the side of it and threw flyers uh, from the sky. Off from the sky. She tried to fly the king as he made his procession from Buckingham Palace to Westminster, but they didn't know how to steer the thing. So they actually went way off course, crash landed, and then next day were worldwide news, even across the Atlantic in New York, suffragette hot, airing, hot air balloon disaster. Wow. Um, so, and this girl from Adelaide who one person can make a difference. And then, you know, she returned to Australia and gave lectures on, on suffrage and the importance of activation of society and was highly acclaimed back to the UK. It was still dire. You know, it was full swing over there. This was, you know, Emily Davison kind of time who ran out in front of the, the horse. Yeah. Um, and then First World War which stopped it all, and then women got the vote afterwards. So this woman lived all the way through that and during the war went to Barcelona to study the Montessori method with Maria Montessori and came back and became a teacher. Be kind to your teachers, people. Be kind to your teachers. Wow. So I don't know if your listeners are noticing any parallels between Muriel Matters and my life story, but... You know, Adelaide actress, went to London, did her thing. I didn't go up in a hot air balloon, but I learned how to use my voice to tell stories and to change minds and inspire and entertain. And I also understand the power of education, uh, just like Muriel. So I wrote a play about her and it was really good. <laughs> it was better than good, Joe. Don't understand that. It, um and, and you yourself are, are, are such a supporter of women's rights and I, yeah. you know, you're, you're a huge advocate for women in the arts. I know from a number of our colleagues and peers in our industry, not only locally but nationally, who speak again so highly of you and, and they say, I've just had a chat with Jo Hartstone and uh, she's just offering some advice around productions or PR or just how I can approach the fringe or, you know, their season. And that's something that 
is so so well well received. It's so not everybody well, you does that. Pass the flame. You got to pass, pass the flame. flame. Let's talk about Tom. Okay, let's talk so, about Tom. Tom Kidney, the wizard that we mentioned, the technical wizard, production designer extraordinaire. Yeah. Tom and yourself are now Heartstone Kidney Production, mm-hmm. presenting theatre and the Black Box live experience, which we talked about it a little bit earlier before the podcast. Let's talk about how Tom has changed not only your production, but the Black Box experience for you and audiences. Um, so I should do full disclosure that Tom is my partner in life as well as my partner in work. I didn't know um, if you wanted me to say it, but yes, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> your partner in all things. Um, I might drop something and then you might think I'm behaving really inappropriate with No, it's work. great. It's great that you've disclosed that. I wasn't sure. I was like, do I disclose that Tom is your partner? Am I allowed to say that Tom is your partner? It's all been very, very formal. So I met Tom when in 2000, well, actually I met him first in 2015 and friends of friends, Edinburgh Fringe, yeah, lovely guy. You know, we, I think we had a couple of parties together, but, you know, just friends, no, nothing interactive. Um, I did think at the time he was a bit cute, <laughs> uh, you know, but I was on holiday with my brother and only there for a short period of time and, you know, fringe, crazy. Uh, and I believe he thought I was a bit cute as well, but, you know, fringe, crazy. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so, but we Facebook friended each other. Ah, technology. The best. And uh, then after I went to Hollywood and it was all amazing, I came home for about two weeks <laughs> and then I went to Edinburgh Fringe and I did the Girl Jump to the Hollywood sign in Edinburgh Fringe and I landed in London. And by this stage, I'd been to the UK and to London almost every year since 2008 when, when I went. So by this stage, it really was a second home. And I had such a big circle of friends, um, extended family there. Um, And uh, so I put a post on on Facebook, um, hey, I'm in London if any any of my friends want to hang out. And Tom sent me a message and he was like, I'm going to be, he had a show that night or something. And I had met another friend of ours and we were on the South Bank and Tom messaged and said, hey, I just saw your message. I'm about, where are you? Uh, and we met on the South Bank. Um, and it was the beginning of the best partnership I've ever experienced in my life <laughs> from that moment. Absolutely. It really was. Yeah. And that's evident, and then- I think, in, in <laughs> not only the way that you glow when you're around that man, but your work together as well, like the two of you are just, it's what? Well, I glow because he's a lighting designer and he makes <laughs> shining lights on me. <laughs> he just knows all he the good angles. really good. Right, okay. okay. <laughs> um, but no, it, it is a, it's a match made in heaven. Like I can't think of a better pairing of, of two powerhouses in both domains respectively. But when you come together, it really is magic. So, Well, you know, I, I didn't know... I, I think I can say I was single for quite a while and I was single when we, when we first met and were friends. Um, and, uh, and I think, I don't know if I ever said this to you, but I probably said out loud to my mother or maybe to you or another friend, I'm so okay with who I am that, that if a per- person's going to enter my life, they're going to need to bring something that I yeah. didn't know I needed. <laughs> you did say that. Do you know what I mean? You did. You did, did I say, say it to you? You did. Okay, right. 
and and yes, and, I, and you're so right. I didn't because, know I no, you. But he like he just he came at the right time, like you said, like it was that. It, yeah. Even though you met earlier in 2015 or whatever, it was yeah. the right time for not yeah. only I guess both of your careers, um, but just individually. It was just, just well. right timing for both of us, and I guess you know what is the thing that I didn't know that I needed? I didn't know I needed a lighting designer. So yeah. Yeah. yeah obviously what I needed was a lighting <laughs> designer, not just a lighting designer, but I then have discovered um, a production manager, an inventor, a visual artist, a photographer, and a genius and one of the kindest men that I know. Uh, so, you know, Yay me, win-win, but um, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know I needed all of that. (laughs) So we met and had a lot of chemistry and had, and then I had my incredible fringe season and he saw my show uh, many times and um, he was very, very sweet with how supportive he was and how encouraging he was. And he that's when he offered to value add, yeah. you know. So he recognised, okay, so there's, there's really good core elements to this show, but his experience is the design world. Mm-hmm. And he said, but with an immaculate design, this could look like a Hollywood film. And so that's what he created. And that's yeah. the thing that you saw when it came back to Adelaide. That was the design that went to New York, yeah. which um, I'll, I'll, I'll humble brag about Tom. The, um, the original designer of Rent, Jamie Leo, he came to see the girl who jumped off the Hollywood sign and we had drinks with him afterwards. And he told Tom that his lighting design was virtuosic. Woo! Yeah. Virtuosic? And Tom just, and I, I was like, I want you to remember. Okay, go put that on the fucking billboard, why don't you? That's brilliant. Yeah. Come on. Well, and, but it was virtuosic. Also, I don't know how Tom did it because there was so little uh, uh, working lights in the theatre. I remember that you saying did. that. Like, I remember speaking yeah. to you when you were doing the tech run in New York and I remember you saying, Tom's making this all just like, it's amazing, but we've got very little to work with, but he's working it. Yeah. And it's yeah. just amazing. Um, so then when we had all of the lights in Cabaret Festival, oh, yeah. he could just go splash and that's what he did. And he, so, did. Uh, and he did. And so then I introduced Tom to Adelaide, you know, and my family and friends here in the community and it was the beginning of opening the world up to him as well because I think that actually the South Australian industry here is hu- in, is going to benefit so much from everything that all the knowledge that Tom is bringing with him into with our colleagues and with the work practices that we've got and the knowledge that he's got, but also his ability to invent. So, and this, yeah. This is, this is an incredible thing about this human being is that he invents new technologies in order to create theatrical designs and um, and and stunts and visuals all live, you know, without really knowing how to do this. And um, it just kind of blows my mind how technologically his brain works and yet it's all working towards theatre. You yeah. know, it's yeah. such an amazing creative um, talent that he has. 
so we've obviously paired up in more ways than one. Um, and I, somehow we created, well, not somehow, harmoniously, actually, we created that Daring Australian Girl, uh, which then went on to do really well. We toured together. Uh, we create work together. We now r- run venues together. Um, so Black Box, Tom came in and has taken it from strength to strength and increased our performance spaces, which therefore increases our program capabilities, which uh, also then attracts really high caliber artists to work with us and present in our spaces, um, which, you know, then it just, success is hard work, man. You know, just got to keep those plates spinning and keep following it. And then, of course, the big pivot happens, and we should probably talk about COVID and the performing arts, right? Absolutely, and that's what we're getting to as far as, like, not only is it going from strength to strength between yourself and Tom as as not only producers, I guess, but like you're saying, creating venues and multiple spaces and programming in Black Box. And so you've been running Black Box at the Adelaide Botanic Gardens now since 2017. Yes. Right? Yeah. So yeah. So that is 2016. We had the bunker trilogy remount in in the Nolothin Hall, and then as well as 20- the in 16, we had the Queens. You and I and ran the Queens. The Queens. Yeah. Uh, 16, because I was getting married two weeks later, and everyone said that was yeah. crazy, but it was yeah. the best. Um, yes. And then, and then, so it's not just like Tom's doing just your show's lighting design, as you say, presenting all of these artists and high caliber, you know, performance groups and troops from overseas as well. When they're performing in your space, Tom then comes on board as their production designers to help again, either recreate or elevate their technical Mm. design. Yeah. And then just translate it or, you know, like there is so much high technical this is one side of, of making theatre that I actually didn't appreciate until I met Tom is all, all of the technicality stuff and all like, yeah, my brain kind of hurts, but I've learned a lot in the last three years about tech and design and Q lab and, oh, you sure. know, all of that sort of stuff that I thought I knew enough to get by and I did. So I understand the conversation. Yeah, you were my go to. If you, I know. <laughs> you were my Q Lab go to. I'm going to go yeah. straight to Tom now. Um, yeah, no, everyone should. He's amazing. Um, yeah. But then so COVID hit. So, like, you're getting this great trajectory yeah. for a few years and we're build, building, you're building the name. People are coming, flocking to the, the black box. Yeah. And then COVID hits. And uh, like and lucky, like so. I guess for for twenty twenty, it was the end of the season. But of yeah. course, that was the end of the season for Adelaide, and then yes. the world closes down at the end of March. Yeah. So, what did that mean for for both of you as far as the rest of your year? Well, okay. So, I don't know if you remember, but we actually had a South Australian tour of the girl who jumped off the Hollywood yes. sign plan. That got cancelled. Yeah. And and but also, it was a huge amount of fear. Uh, and suddenly it's like we're not allowed to be in person. Well, what are we going to do? That's our entire practice is doing something live. How do we do that from our homes? Um, oh, gosh, live stream is a thing, isn't it? So, well, actually, I should backtrack a little bit. Um, right at the end of Fringe, I don't know if you remember the timing of this, but the lockdown, the COVID lockdown was announced on the Friday and it was going to be enforced on the Monday. And right. that was the, so we had like three days notice that there was going to be a lockdown. Um, how generous. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, but because of that, that was the last Saturday and Sunday of Fringe right in between there. 
So because this message came out, we're going to go into lockdown, we didn't know what the crowds were going to be like for that final weekend of Fringe. And we actually thought it would we would struggle to get an audience. Turns out it actually was sort of okay because there were people who were like, I'm going to go out before lockdown begins. I need to be outside, yeah, before I, I go. I need, I need yeah. to go before this gets dangerous. But then there were people who just went, I can't go, and they removed themselves. So it kind, a little bit balanced out, one yeah. kind of into the other. But then, well, we thought we've made this amazing show and we want as many people as possible to be able to see it. And we already at that stage had the sense, ah, the entertainment industry is going to suffer. Yeah. So what can we do? So we had a show that we were, we had created that year called Enterprise. Mm-hmm. So Tom and I had co-directed it um, and I was in it and Tom had designed it. Um, and we knew the writer really well. He's a, he's a friend of ours. And so we thought, well, can we just live stream it on Facebook for free? Can we just do that? That's right. I remember this popping up and being like free performance, the closing weekend of Fringe, watch Enterprise. Watch Enterprise, can't go out. Yeah. Um, And so we asked Brian, he said, absolutely fine. Um, So that was great that we had his blessing because, you know, we shouldn't shouldn't just broadcast work without permissions in place. Um, And... uh, um, so we broadcast it and within 24 hours, we'd had 1,400 views. So we just went, oh, okay, that's a thing. Live streaming it was a thing. That's interesting, isn't it? Huh. How much do you think all of our practice is going to have to go online now? And that then and then the following uh, weekend, as we were bumping, sorry, the following week when I, I was bumping out, I got a call from Sonia Feldhoff um, from ABC Radio and wanted to talk about, the live stream and how we did that and what that's going to mean for artists and does everybody now need a camera and, you know, that sort of thing. And so from that very first live stream, we learnt an awful lot. That was just with the, the highest quality iPhone we had uh, and we just put it on the tech desk and crossed our fingers and hoped that it was okay. <laughs> it, was, it was more than okay for viewers at home because it really did start setting the the picture of what your next year was going to look like. Yeah. And, and and you're quite right as far as like the ability to change and adapt to this new landscape of virtual performance. Yes. This year for the 2021 Fringe, you had Black Box Live yeah. at home. Yeah. A step up from the old iPhone. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me about a little bit about what you actually did this year and then I'll share my experience from the audience point of view if that's all right because it really did we spoke about it at the top of the show very briefly but it changed my entire fringe experience for for the better and i'd love to hear like tell everyone a little bit about what happened this year joe yeah sure so uh Look, we weren't going to do Fringe, (laughs) actually. We thought it was going to be too hard. Um, The numbers didn't stack up because of social distancing. Um, The international borders were closed, but obviously there's plenty of talent in South Australia uh, to pull from. Um, But we weren't going to do it. And then um, enough of the house of cards began to come into place for us to go, okay, if we are going to do this, not saying we're going to, but if we are <laughs> going to do this, how could we overleap this COVID? How can we beat COVID? <laughs> Isn't that an arrogant thing That's to say? That's the best. No, what a problem <laughs> to try and solve. 
Who do you think you well, are? The problem, the problem that COVID created. Yeah. Uh, we didn't beat COVID. Can we overcome this problem of if people can't come to us, how can we come to them? And I think there's actually initially people will have quite a strong reaction to the idea of live streaming a show, a theatre show. Some people will think, no, um, no, you can't rep- replicate the in-person experience. The purest. How very are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely not. Uh, they are sullying the craft. And in some ways I absolutely respect that <laughs> opinion um, because, you know, I've seen some digital theatre. I studied it a lot during 2020 um, and I didn't enjoy a lot of it. And I had to learn why. Why wasn't why wasn't I an avid theatre fan having a great experience? Totally, content from my my own home. I feel like you um, just read my thoughts about my first experience with a lot of digital yeah. theatre. A yeah. lot of it, and I was the same. I was like, "But this is something." If I was, I love this. I love the content. I love the performance. I love the performance. And yet mm. I'm not enjoying this experience for one reason or another. I don't know if it's because their performance didn't then carry through the camera and translate enough. Mm. I don't know if it's the angle or just the static wide shot. I don't know what it was Well, that's until I knew I what it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I tried to work out too. And it's actually, it's difficult. I suppose theatre sort of suffers the same from the same sort of thing that if you go and see a show and it's bad, it kind of puts you off seeing live shows you know particularly if you're not an avid follower I guess so and I guess would you say that's Um, subjective though like to the audience member because I think like I might say something's bad for the reasons that I find things to be bad and it may be like oh that direction was bad or the lighting was bad or like the script was good the performances were good but overall like I guess like I've and I'm, I know you do the same, like you sort of have all these different metrics and tick boxes of production performance experience that I guess then you well, probably happen overall. You have, you have a lot of knowledge to tick a lot of boxes, but the average punter yes. doesn't have all the boxes that you have. True. You know, I mean, they probably do actually. They would just sort of not really know what they're called and just sort of sense that something wasn't quite right or yeah. wasn't very, it was a bit wooden or, you know, but they wouldn't necessarily be able to go into the minutiae that we would uh, of uh, you know, of why a show it's a blessing failed. and a curse. <laughs> we, know, we know too much. You've seen behind the curtain too much. Yeah, yeah. There's a man behind the curtain. <laughs> Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Um, but yeah, right, so, so you um, discover what you don't like about it and then how do you apply yeah. that to create the ultimate? Well, okay, so I can sort of list what the learnings were, I guess. So uh, the learnings were that sound quality matters. Because, you know, if you're unmiked, it's a problem. If you can't hear, it's a problem. We learnt that video quality matters. If your video is pixelated so that you can't see the expression of the performer's face, you're going to disengage with the work. We learnt that uh, lighting and camera integration matters. Now, this is a little bit technical, but it has to do with, with a theatre show, lights fluctuate. Um, and they can go quite dark and they can also go very bright and also sometimes in a very short period of time. 
you need equipment that's able to adapt to that lighting and work with that kind of lighting so that it is then accurately reflected on the screen. Um, and, you, you know, cheap cameras don't have that reactability. And what so, we're talking about here for those at home who, who don't understand, just for the layman's term, even if you're on an iPhone, you go from a dark room to a light room very quickly and you, you see the picture blur, it's out of focus, yeah. it's trying to catch up to the light rate that is entering that shutter speed. Whereas yeah. what Joe's saying is, yeah, you've got to have technology that yeah. matches the naked eye almost to capture those subtle, you know, yeah. changes and fades within the technical design. Because, unfortunately, production quality matters. Well, fortunately, production yeah, quality yeah. matters. Um, and then the, the other learning was having a dynamic viewing experience. Let me explain that as in... Um, you don't just want one picture of the entire stage. You want to be able to punch in and see a mid shot or a close up shot of the audience of the actor. You want so that you can engage closely, but then you still want to have the opportunity to stand back and see the set for how it is and see how it works on that stage. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, dynamic meaning camera shot changing. So, ideally, multiple cameras with the ability to switch from one to the other. And they are our learnings from what we tried to put into Black Box Live. Um, and so, of course, that means equipment. Um, but it also, luckily, means crew, people, uh, creating a job for someone to come in and operate cameras for a live stream. So suddenly it's not just got, you know, um, good good outcomes for artists and it's not just good outcomes for audiences. Oh, my gosh, it's job creation for crew, which I yeah. think is amazing. And you have this roll-on effect <laughs> with everything that you're doing in South Australia, whether that be producing theatre, creating effectively a broadcast studio within your theatres, um, you know, but it, and, and it goes all the way through to your, you know, the, you create a job for the people who are working your front desk, the, the box office, yep. the ushers, the, uh, the operating crew of the cameras, again, you know, a merit to yourself, Joey. It's a privilege to pay people, isn't oh, it? It's, isn't it? So isn't lovely. It? And, and, and people it. say there's no opportunities. Crazy. Crazy. Well, I employed nearly 100 people during Fringe yeah. uh, and that was a real privilege to create that many jobs in the arts. It's outstanding. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, such, it's such a humbling thing to to do I, so humbling i'll mention it on a podcast humble brag no i love it you're, humble humble brag. Brag. you're allowed to and so you oh, should yeah. celebrating it and celebrate those things oh. because they're, they're things that are, are you know you're giving back to that community and it's that that in perpetuity is going to build our industry and continue to build the the platforms that you are you know i, I don't want to say you're a you're a cornerstone you're a heartstone of I'm a heart. you're a heart you're literally a heartstone of of our scene here and our our industry joey that's undeniable when you when you talk so, about this experience of black box at home i i wanted to mm. quickly touch on it and say look i was unsure when mm. i first was a bit like i don't know i really want it. we really wanted to get to the fringe but with kids like we got two young kids and, and we're just not going to happen this year so we were like mm. oh look black box is offering view at home let's give it a go and i was like i wonder how this is going to go I'm not sure. Again, I've not really had a good digital experience. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? When it's you tough. <laughs> but I'll tell you, this was a different experience from not only the, the 
automated process from when we purchased our watch at home ticket, which was again at a great price for even, you know, let's just say we were like, you know what, we could have some friends around and have a fringe night. And for the, a little bit of a higher price than in person, you're then getting that privilege of, yeah, sure, you can have multiple people view it in your home. We just viewed the two of us. To be honest, we actually had a cheaper price point for our home. There were some people who did do like, you know, if you've got a viewing party, there's a price that you can pay. Yeah. But actually for the majority of our tickets, they were under $20. Which so, is so affordable, literally. Like there's almost no excuse to not go to the theatre. The the whole experience, like I said, from the automated, like here's your ticket. On the time of the day of the performance, you're going to get this email with a link. So like the information was super clear. Then when we logged on to the website and had it up on the television, the thing that I personally really enjoyed about it was the visual. My television just had the beautiful like Nolo, the in black box branding which made me immediately feel like I was waiting for the show, like the neon lights were there and it feels like I'm at a theatre. And I don't know, like we've, you know, we turned off all the lights and we got a bowl of popcorn and had a drink and made a bit of a date night of it. And it really felt like we were going to the fringe. And once the show started, you know, the screen fades down to black. So again, it feels like a very natural theatre experience as opposed to just like snap on. I didn't have to hear the audience talking in between and somebody's over. It was, you know, and then, the curtain opens, the the lights come up, curtain opens, and it was not only just the wide shot, but then you start getting these multicams that you're talking about, these transitions, and immediately Joya and I were just a bit like, oh, my God, like, oh, wow, like this is this is slick. It feels refined. If I can hear you clearly, I could see everything. I guess, if anything, the only thing that where our couch is so far away from our television that we actually had to, like, run up to the television just to some of the surtitles to be like, I got it. Cool. But otherwise, like the whole experience really felt like I was sitting in the black box theater in the Botanic Gardens, which I just thought was amazing. And that's coming from me. So like, you know, I've got a checklist and and I, I don't enjoy those things normally, but it was a really enjoyable night. And the show itself was like, again, you've just, you keep, I don't even know how you do it because I've, in my head, like you, you you top yourself every year and you, you put forth these almost like, I know they're your goals or the personal challenges almost, I don't know, Joey, but mm. you get better every year and it's not a, an easy feat when the bar is already so high from, say, the girl who mm. jumped to then the mm. daring Australian girl to then do the Reichstag is burning. And 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 this was the most um, the most singing in in a, in one of your shows, the most choreographed movement and dance in it as well, um, as well as like a, a text that jumps around. You, you really have to be a little bit more, I think, alert as an audience member in this piece. But it was nothing got lost in translation, be that from the in-house or at-home experience, which is again just and. And you got to see the hologram lasers oh. in the Reichstag. What do you mean hologram lasers? Are they not? <laughs> because so t- what Tom has done with the Reichstag is burning is he's done little hidden visual gems, as he calls them, Yeah. Um, for the online viewers only that you can't see with the naked eye. So, like, so that whole scene with like your, the close-up with the, the lasers going up and down. And then, oh, so you can see those lasers, You know, not the one with the white gloves. Sorry, everyone, you're going to have to wait for the movie to come out. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so not the one with the white gloves, but the one where it's the blue waves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. so the audience don't see that. So they 
they see a blue light, right? But on the camera, because of shutter speed, it looks like a waving hologram oh. and it looks like it's circling me and dancing. And so Tom knew that because of his work, he also has a media degree as well as all of his design work and West End work and stuff like that. Checks out, so he checks out. Knows, yeah, so he knows that, like, if you put lasers in front of a camera, the camera will capture it at a different, at a different speed, speed yeah. than as your eyes will. So he included these sort of little gems for the people at home. I love that. that I love that. I love it even more. That's why I think, you know, some people are like, no, never digital theatre, how very dare you. But actually I think it's a value add. It's an also. So, you know, it's the future another, of theatre. another art form of, of live performance yeah, yeah. made specifically with the intention of using technolo- technological equipment to be viewed via a screen. Or maybe, you know, that's the VR headset down the yeah. track. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe that's, however, t- maybe a hologram later on down the track with technology. So I, I do think that it's that it's a wonderful thing that that we are now, once again, it was put in front of me and I've gone, okay, I'll learn how to do that. <laughs> and, and I've just, we've gone into it. And then the outcomes from Fringe were really exciting. So we broadcast 47 shows over five weeks which uh, reached, uh, and that was from three different venues. So we went between our venues to live stream the shows. We uh, reached 38 countries wow. with our, um, organically through, through our reach for people watching uh, from home. And, you know, it did better than, than expected. And it's now then led us into this whole new practice of digitising theatre and creating this hybrid genre for new new ways of consuming this this theatrical craft yeah. without hiding that it's a different theatrical craft than film or TV. So it's a brand new frontier and it's so exciting to be in it. Well, not just to be in it, but to be trailblazing it for it. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, like they're, you really are. I think not only, and look, locally as well, nationally there, there are definitely companies out there doing work like this but you are you are trailblazing it yeah, until it becomes the norm um like you said but it's a new frontier it's a new shoot well, I, of theater shall i tell you what we're about to do yes please because i know that even just trying to get us together you uh, you guys <laughs> are both crazy at the moment because you're working on something tell us yeah. a little bit about this latest project so we're working with Company AT to digitise their main stage play in personal space, um, which we're really excited to work with them because we're creating um, uh, this digital product, as it were, but offering it in different perspectives. So you can watch it as a traditional audience member or you can experience scenes from the perspective of characters. So we're using things like, you know, VR cameras and um, GoPros to be able to capture and, and record this new data content in a very theatrical way and then translate that online so that um, anyone can can find this show and um, and it can be much more accessible to everybody and it's a very, very worthy product to be digitised. Um, and then directly after that, we are doing Black Box Live from Australia and we are broadcasting 
um, five shows from Adelaide, from the Bakehouse, into Edinburgh Fringe and into Hollywood Fringe. Wow, fantastic. And so when, <laughs> when is that scheduled for broadcast, Joe? Uh, that will be uh, the first week of August uh, is when Hollywood Fringe and Edinburgh Fringe start concurrently. And this year um, they're very different festivals. They're mostly digital. So what better way? We've been working on this digital stuff now. We've got the we've got the equipment, we've got the crew, we've got the shows. Yeah, uh, just mount it. So, you just need the space. And then so we've and we've got the bakehouse. So uh, tickets are gonna go on sale to one-off live performances of different shows that some of them were in uh, some of them were in the black box season this year. So like yep. egg and still alive and kicking. Uh, and also, you'll be pleased to know this, Vince, because I haven't actually told you, the girl who jumped off the Hollywood sign. <gasps> She's we're back. Gonna, oh. We're going to digitise it. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. It needs to be made into a film. <laughs> it needs to be made into a film, Joe. We always said it. That is wonderful yeah. news. I'm glad I could, you got to share that with me on the podcast. Thanks. Yay. Oh, that's really, like, that's wonderful. And, and again, like, congratulations to the two of you and all the work you're doing, your crew, your the team that you've, cultivated there and i say cultivated because that's really what you've done you've put them together you've grown them and 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 it's just it's a beautiful beautiful thing that you guys have put together and are building yeah two more questions number one is this success is this what you always thought success was going to feel like i thought i didn't think it would be as hard work um but now i actually recognize that hard work is success so if i'm working hard i'm being successful you know because I guess, um, you know, success is a scale, as you've said many times. Um, and my my mum has, has always had a lovely thing, a little routine that she does with us, which is, you know, what are three things that went right today? And, you know, you, you can say three things and they can be as big or as small as you want, but they're little successes. Um, and then she'd also say, if we needed it, what's one thing you're going to achieve tomorrow? Um, and, you know, that's a good motivator for the next day. Uh, so I've always throughout my life taken stock of little successes as well. You know, like I did laundry. <laughs> Tick. Tick. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well done, me. <laughs> sure. uh, you know, I put away the dishes and I... I pre-ordered groceries to pick up tomorrow after work. Tick. Tick. I'm yeah, successful. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, so I, I don't mind acknowledging small successes, but um, I think I'm really fortunate to be as successful as I am um, in, my, in my chosen field. And I'm not going to stop. So, please don't. Please don't. Work begets work begets work. Absolutely. Well, look, Joey, that does wrap up, I think, an exceptional conversation around your success. Again, I think, you know, you are a you're a masterclass in your own right of performance, tenacity, commitment, and uh, and execution. And I I you know I say that wholeheartedly. I'm privileged enough to have been able to work with you on many levels and and know you and on the personal levels and it's just a it's a wonderful thing so thank you for your time tonight i do have 10 more questions for you though <laughs> all right Run, let's, do let's do them what is your favorite word epiphany oh beautiful <laughs> beautiful why can i ask why look i actually thought about this because i knew you were going to ask it so full disclosure i didn't just come up with it straight away but epiphany 
because I love the sound of it. It sounds like an epiphany. It sounds like an idea. I love what an epiphany is as well because it's always a way forward. And I do love that the th sound is a ph. So it's <laughs> I love that. I love <laughs> it's that. also a lovely language word. <laughs> gorgeous, gorgeous answer. What is your least favorite word? Chanda. Chanda or shanda? Chanda, as in C H U N D E H. Chanda. Chanda. It rhymes with thunder. It does. It does. Chanda. <laughs> what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? That's a really hard question to ask after saying the word chanda. 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 <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard it. No, but I've never realized how funny a word it is until right now. It's a horrible word. <laughs> it is. But it's, yeah. you got me with that one. Very onomatopoeic. <sighs> Joanne, I'm going to induct you into Literature Club. And the first rule about <laughs> Literature Club is to not talk about Literature Club. <laughs> we'll talk offline. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Beauty, execution, not as in like executing not someone. Killing I mean, somebody, like, no. Not killing someone, you but mean executing really something well. Executing something to perfection. Yeah. I think that when I can appreciate how well something is done, that just inspires me. Waking up to my dog in the morning, it fulfills me. What turns you off? Injustice. I like it. I, I hadn't like thought it. about that one, but that one just came out. Definitely injustice turns me off. What is your favorite curse word? Golly gee. Golly gee, that's brilliant. Golly that, gee. Can I tell you that we still, just in our household, almost daily, I think, quote to each other, alrighty. Alrighty. <laughs> alrighty, golly gee, alrighty. Perfect, golly perfect. Gee. Oh, I love that. That's your favourite curse word. You I, are... even, I even wrote an email the other day and said, um, oh, golly gee, I really appreciate something or other. And my friend just gave me so much slack that I actually used that in. No, I love <laughs> so it. That, your listeners, it's from the girl who jumped off the Hollywood sign in that e- era of... It's just in the lexicon of the time, really. Yeah, vernacular. Yeah. What sound or noise do you love? Molly snoring. Molly's Molly my dog. Snoring. Yeah, yeah. I love the smell. The smell? Oh, oh I don't no. love the smell <laughs> of <laughs> Molly snoring. No, the sound of Molly snoring Cute. is bliss. What sound or noise do you hate? Styrofoam being ripped. Like, yeah, like scraped, like scrapey styrofoam. Yeah, and like ripped and twisted. Oh, no yeah. thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I feel like I'm attempting all of them. So it's really hard. I feel like if to... one is just placed in front of you, you're going to do it. I, yeah, kind of. I'm nervous to say <laughs> a word because something else might come up. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'd actually, I'd love to, maybe I'll slightly adapt the question and say I'd love to be able to spend more time writing plays. That would be amazing. Love. Like, that would be, that would be really fun just to be a writer. But uh, alas, I do everything else. There's still time, <laughs> Joanne. There's still time. The story is not finished. I still write. I still write. I wish I had more time to write. <laughs> what profession would you not like to do? I would not like to work in an abattoir. Uh, full respect to people who do. Totally. That's not a job that I would like to do. And so thank you very much to any abattoir workers out there. And Joe, lucky last, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Okay, I have thought about this question. Um, and I'm actually quite a complicated answer because I'm an atheist. 
And I've been quite fine with being an atheist for a long time. So I guess if heaven exists and I go up there, I'm going to be really surprised and I'm going to be wrong. (laughs) 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 And and I'm I'm going to have to (laughs) apologise. What would you like to hear God say? Do you want to hear God say? Actually, I, I think I would like him to say, that's all right that you were wrong. Because do you know what? You were just as good and just as giving and just as just as important to be on the earth as anybody who did believe in me. Um, so well done. Good job. <laughs> Perfect. <I> yeah. Like <laughs> That's a great answer. That's a great answer. I really hope everybody does get a ticket to come and see you either virtually or on stage. And if you want to follow along, you can do so by visiting www.heartstonekidney.com or check her out on Twitter at Heartstone Kidney or at Black Box Theatre on Facebook and Instagram, Heartstone Kidney Productions and at Black Box Theatres. Joanne Heartstone, thank you. You're welcome. And thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed what we had to say. That was a really good chat. So good. I'll see you very, very soon. Cut! <laughs> <laughs>